a two-homily day. First homily, Jesus cleansing the temple is not a permission slip for Christians to get mad at the news on TV all the time. That's the first homily. The second homily is going to be a little bit longer. So what is the cleansing of the temple? It's exactly that. Temples need to be cleansed. Whenever the temple is the place of the worship of God, but all the time in Israel's history, idols came into the temple. And so theologian um, Hans Urs von Balthasar talks about how Christ cleanses the idol of mammon from the temple. The idol of mammon. He overturns the altar or turns over the tables. And what's interesting about the idol of mammon, we know Jesus talks about it a lot in the gospel. In fact, one of Jesus' favorite topics in the gospels is money. Mammon is the Aramaic word for wealth. But it's not talked about as a god. As Jesus says, no man can serve both God and mammon. No man can serve two masters. He will hate one and love the other. It's not talked about as a god until Jesus comes onto the scene. And so I'll shelf that idea for a moment, but we do have to address what mammon is as a god. First, every god has a few things. A god has a power, a god has a, a philosophy, a doctrine, and worshipers or disciples. So what is the power of mammon or the power of wealth? What the power of mammon is not is to save us from death. Wealth has never raised a man from the grave. But what mammon does at least try to promise is that we can prolong ourselves until death. We can make ourselves as comfortable as we can in this life. And so basically the philosophy of mammon is this. YOLO. You only live once. You just have to take in as much pleasure as you can in this life. Protect yourself from as much pain and suffering. Enjoy it while you can. You only live once. This is kind of the philosophy of mammon. And so the powers continue to protect us from suffering, to make sure that we have nice appearances of uh, our kingdoms built up, uh, to delay death. But then what the personality of this God mammon is this. Because there's only so much to go around, Mammon is always calculating itself. Always making sure it never loses any of itself. And so, because of that, the personality of mammon is cold, harsh, indifferent. And so the worshipers, or the disciples of mammon, also become obsessed with what mammon cares about. Always increasing one's portfolio, always seeking comfort, and delaying death at all expenses. And ultimately, the worshipers of wealth become cold, indifferent, heartless. 
and ultimately, because they cannot overcome death, lifeless. And so, eventually, every one of Mammon's disciples gets burnt by this God, to where we don't ever really accumulate the wealth and the comfort that we desire in this life. And eventually, those disciples get cynical, and they say something like, He that expecteth nothing shall never be disappointed. He that expecteth nothing shall never be disappointed. But the way that mammon works on their disciples is like this. Very slowly, very rationally, and very uh, calculated. To where a disciple of mammon would maybe spend more and more energy on just renovating their backyard, renovating the camp, looking at this new purchase, to where eventually that disciple wakes up in the morning and recognizes, I have not prayed in months. I've been all consumed by this, uh, this idea of making sure I don't suffer. And this is why in the letter of 1 Timothy, says that the love of money is a God. And so the question then that we're going to take off the shelf is why does Jesus personify mammon? Why does he call it a God and never in the Old Testament is it called a God? In fact, mammon is kind of celebrated as a sign of God's blessing. The immediate um, example that comes to my mind as a part of my, I guess, cultural conditioning as a millennial, and the one book that every millennial had to read growing up, or series of books, is the Harry Potter novels. And within them, that uh, that seven-book series, there is a character who is the villain, who is always addressed as he who shall not be named. And he was called he who shall not be named because everyone was terrified of him. No one could overcome him until the protagonist, Harry Potter, comes on the scene and then we can start to name him as he is, Voldemort. There is a similar kind of dynamic, I think, with this idea of mammon. That because because no one has come onto the scene and conquered death. We have to ally ourselves with mammon. No one wants to talk about it, but ultimately it makes its followers cold and not empathetic and distant. But Christ comes onto the scene, and Christ is the one who conquers death. And so because of that, he can name mammon because he is going to turn over its table or its altar. And so whenever the Jews ask him when he cleanses the temple, what sign have you to do this? Jesus talks about who he is. I destroy this temple and in three days I will rebuild it. He's the one who conquers death by his resurrection. And so then it's worth talking about who is the God of Jesus Christ. Because his power is that he conquers sin and death by his resurrection, he then can embrace all of reality 
and all of the evil that comes with it and its sufferings, because he's going to overcome it. He doesn't have to be like mammon that has to shield itself against it. And so because of that, as we hear in the first reading, he is a jealous God. He is not cold, but he burns with passionate love for his disciples. He is one that is not afraid of suffering, but can take it on because he overcomes it in himself. He's not so much concerned with preserving life here and now. He has abundant life for us in eternity. He's not overly concerned with preserving our youth at all costs. The virtue of hope gives us a new youth that springs from our hearts that wasn't there before. And so, his disciples become like him. A disciple of Christ in his poverty that we all know about, and if we don't know about you've seen his statue in many front yards with a little plate for birds to come and drink out of, is St. Francis of Assisi. That he is one who, unlike the cynic, says, if you expect nothing, you'll never be disappointed. Francis, who follows Christ in his death and his resurrection, says this, Chesterton says, the author, he that expecteth nothing enjoys all things. He that expecteth nothing can enjoy all things. He now accepts everything as a gift. We know about Francis, his kind of like nature lover. He, get, he kind of he kind of gets uh, falsely accused of kind of being the patron saint of hippies or something, you know. But Francis is seen as this lover of nature because everything around him is a gift. He's able to call the trees his sisters, you know, the, the dogs or whatever, his brothers. Everything is received as gift, even his sufferings. To where Francis has what we call the stigmata, the literal wounds of Christ in his hands. He can receive the wounds of Christ or the stigmata because even his sufferings are a gift for him to come to know the love of the jealous God who has overcome suffering. He is not afraid of it like the disciples of Mammon, but he welcomes it because it brings about a new wealth, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to which St. Paul says, I count all things as rubbish, all wealth as rubbish, for the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. And so the way that Jesus wants to overcome the love of mammon within our hearts is ultimately by this angry, jealous love that he shows when he cleanses the temple. While the love of mammon can creep up on us to where we recognize, I've been so concerned with all my stuff that I haven't prayed in months, the way that Christ comes onto the scene into the temple of our own hearts is through radical generosity by making us wake up and recognize, I need to be way more generous. I have not sacrificed so as to become closer to Christ, but I've used wealth as a barrier 
between me and his most sacred heart. And Christ offers this as a remedy to our increasingly cold, indifferent, and ultimately lifeless hearts so that he can burn within us in a jealous way, warm us from the inside so that we can be full of his resurrected life, which is not afraid of suffering, but conquers it and embraces it as means of the knowledge of him.